in Micah chapter 6, we see that God has always been faithful to Israel. If you go through the Old Testament, you'll see God has always been faithful. He's never been unfaithful. He delivered them from Egypt, you know, from slavery. You remember that? And uh, God led them through the wilderness. Well, actually, he took them through the Red Sea. That's, that's how it started. And then God actually reversed the curses of Balaam. We read a few verses earlier. And then God parted the Jordan River so that Israel could go through the Jordan River into the promised land that God had promised them. That was 40 years after God delivered them from Egypt, from slavery. What we see in the Old Testament and what Michael was referring to is that God faithfully kept all his promises to Israel. The problem with Israel, and I think that's the problem with us as well, is we have so many promises that we can embrace that is biblical. It comes from Scripture. But the problem is so many times that we are disobedient to God. That we do not live up to the standards that He expects from us so that His promises can become a reality. Because you must realize that every promise in Scripture, um, you have to do something. No promise is just they accept salvation. The rest are all promises that we have to do something to basically work with God so that those promises can come into fulfillment. So our passage is Micah chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. We're going to focus in on verse 8. Before we do read this passage, let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, it's such a privilege to come to you this morning and to be able to take your word, open it up, read it, but also thank you for the privilege that I have to expound your word this morning to your people. I want to pray, Father, that we will be able to receive your word, make it our own understand, and I pray that you will enable me as your servant to teach your people, and especially fathers, especially men, because this is what it's all about today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, Micah chapter 6, verse 6 says the following. Now what you're going to see in verse 6 to 7 is a response of Israel um, with the question to God. God has been faithful. God is good to Israel. God has given them promises. God fulfills his promises to Israel. And this is how Israel responds. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand uh, rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God 
So Israel is asking a question about external religious practices, no? the sacrificial system. That's basically what they're asking. What does God want? Because He is faithful, He has pleased us, He has done so many things for us, He's kept His promises. So what can we do for God? And it's amazing how God responds. He doesn't respond by saying to them, yes, it's good, because this is Old Testament. Yeah. The sacrificial system was part of the Old Testament system. God doesn't respond to external religious practices. What God does is, He turns inward. But it's interesting who He speaks to. He speaks to the men. That's who He speaks to. You see, beloved, in our passage, the people wanted to know what God required of them. And they made completely as if they didn't know. As if God never spoke to them. God, is this what you want? Even though God has spoken many times. He's spoken through the prophets. And it has been clear what God had to say to Israel. But when we read verse 8, we see that they knew exactly what God actually expected of them. Because the way that God phrases this verse is, He has no... Uh, uh, he has shown you, oh man, past tense. It's kind of God saying, I have already spoken to you. What I expect you to do is to be obedient to what I say. Don't come and ask me again. And, and specifically, don't come and ask me about the, the external religious things. When I expect from you to be inwardly religious. To be... The kind of people that I expect you to be inwardly. Remember, not everyone who is circumcised a, uh, a Jew is a Jew. No? It's only those who are circumcised by heart. Those are Jews. But it's very interesting that he speaks to the men. So I want to focus in on, on verse 8 this morning. You see, God had already shown the men what he expected from them. And by the way, men are actually, I believe, supposed to be the trendsetters in society. Men are supposed to be the people who are under God's authority and the women under the men's authority and then the children under the women's authority, or both men and women's authority. And the way that God changes societies is through men. Men with backbone. Godly men who stand up and who stand as men. And, and that's why in society today, worldwide, there is a massive attack against masculinity. There's a massive attack against manhood. And for many, many years, we've seen an attack against fatherhood. Fathers just being absent from the families. Unfortunately, in Israel's case, the the men did not take up their responsibility. And, and it's interesting how you see over and over and over and again, when the men do not stand up for what God wants, civilization or a people group just collapses. And by the way, it's not us who decides what God's priorities or God's um, authority structure is. 
It's not something that we've decided. We didn't sit down one day and say, okay, let's, let's do this. God, man, woman, children. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God's word. But a godless, evil society will always turn that upside down. And that's why we see feminism that is just rampant everywhere. And we see how society has just, be, has just collapsed, especially the West. It's just collapsed, but we can see it now also in the Middle East, among Muslim nations. And it's so unfortunate because God's way of, let's say, keeping societies intact is through men. Godly men, by the way, not any men, not all men, godly men. So unfortunately, the men did not take up their responsibility. It's interesting how they, you can see how they refused to do what God already said. Because in the previous verses, we see this idea of, shall the men come before God with burnt offerings? It's actually for the whole nation. Eh? But in verse 8, he specifically speaks about the men. So, most probably the previous verses also refers to the men specifically because they were the ones who messed up. Shall the men come before God with burnt offerings? Shall they come before God with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Or the ultimate, shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions? Shall I offer up my child to God? You know, as they did in Baal worship, in Moloch worship, where Israel took up the, the sins of the Canaanites and they started worship, offering their children to the idols. Because that was already in their mind. Shall I offer up my child, my firstborn, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? If the animals are not enough, shall I give my child? And it's amazing how God just rejects all of that. By the way, it would be God who would give his firstborn, eh? his only begotten son. His unique, one-of-a-kind son, he would give him to pay for our sins. Because there's no son of an Israelite who is worthy to die on behalf of people, well, let's say sinners. It's only Christ. Beloved, all these things are a part of the outer system of worship. Where a person does certain things to try to please the deity that he wants to please. So you do all these things hoping that you are pleasing the deity so that the deity from his side will then do something for me or her side because there are female deities as well, female idols as well. But in verse 8, the men are told what God really expects from the men. And as I said, it's inwardly something that comes from within and that is to do justice or to do justly to love mercy 
and to walk humbly with God. Those are the three things that God already told Israel. And because he's reminding them again, it means that they did not do what God called them to do or what God expected them to do. The men just didn't do it. Beloved, the people were willing to offer a huge heap of sacrifices, even the fruit of their own bodies, their own children. And that was all outward religion. And we know as New Testament believers that it meant nothing. It was all pointing towards Christ who means everything. So, what does it mean that God expected from the men to do justly? It's very simple that to do justly basically means to give to all what is due to them. That's the meaning of the word, justly, to do justly, is to basically to give to all what is due to them. For example, men should give to God what is due to Him. And... and Ladies, please don't feel excluded. This includes everyone, but specifically men. For men are supposed to be the leaders. You know that the, the men are supposed to be the heads of their homes? When we get to the fathers, it's clear. Men are supposed to be the heads of the homes to lead their families. And men should give to God what is due to Him. And when they do that, they are an example to their family. The question is, where are those men? How many of those men are visible in the society that we live in today? Now, this includes a man's heart, his body, his soul, and his spirit. It also includes a man's wisdom, his understanding, and his judgment. Everything is due to God. God is the one who gives those things. So what a man should do is to honor God by using it for God's glory. It means that a man should love God with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength. And he should love his neighbor as himself. But the focus here is on God. To give to God what is due to God. What is due to God? To love God with everything that's in us. No greater example can be set in a home than a father or a man that lives for God. That gives God his due. You see, this is what God expects from every man towards himself. Towards God. That's not all, as Jesus summarized the, the Ten Commandments, men should also give what is due to his neighbor. Lover, I want you to see the, 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 how can I say, the example that men are supposed to set or to be. Men have a great responsibility. And we must understand, I'm a man too, so... We must understand that there will come a day of judgment. There will come a day of reckoning. 
And we can say, oh, we did not know. It's nonsense. It's not true. We were supposed to read God's word. We were supposed to read what Micah had to say. One of the prophets of God. Even though he's a minor prophet. But we had to read what he had to say. And we've got to do what he has to say. We will stand before God. One day. Obviously if we're saved. It's not for condemnation. It's not to be sent to hell. But to receive reward. And those who do not obey Christ. And do not obey God. Will not receive reward. For those things. How can they? You can't receive reward for something you haven't done. Beloved, we are responsible. A great responsibility lies on the, on the backs of men. So, men should also give what is due to his neighbor. A man should give and do to his neighbor as he would want his neighbor to do or to give unto him. That's the best way to say, how do I treat my neighbor? Treat your neighbor as you want to be treated yourself. If you do that, you fulfill God's requirement. To give to your neighbor what is due to your neighbor. Because if you expect certain things from your neighbor, you will also do it to your neighbor. Which means you will bless your neighbor. And you'll be doing what God wants you to do. A man should never do anything to harm his neighbor a man should rather do what is right before God. Beloved, but then men should also do what is due to himself. See, men should give to themselves what God has provided for them. That means to embrace what God has provided, to embrace God's promises. It's interesting when a man embraces what God has given to them, how blessed their family is. You see, men should keep their own body in moderation. Let's call it self-control. Through God, the spirit that dwells within us, if you are a saved man, God, the spirit, is the one who enables you to live in moderation. To live with self-control. You see, men must have self-restraint, especially with regards to things which are hurtful to those things that can lead to, and those things that can lead to sin, or those things, sorry, that can lead to sin. The Holy Spirit that dwells within us enables us to have self-restraint, self-control. I believe what we need to do is that we should do what is due to ourselves. Live the way that God intends us to live. You see, men can so easily act like the world in act, in, instead of acting as spirit-filled men of God. So easy. And the problem is, the moment men start doing that, they just drag everybody with them, their whole family. Praise God, there are a few examples of godly women who stands firm while the men are absolute. Yeah, I cannot say, but useless. Not where they're supposed to be. And I believe we're living in a world where 
men have become little boys where they're supposed to be men. They say nowadays, I think you grow up when you're 30. What a bunch of nonsense. In biblical times, immediately after puberty, you were a man. And you started doing man things. David was a teenager when he fought a lion and a bear and he killed it. David was a teenager when he fought Goliath in the name of the Lord. Those are examples of men. When you were 20 years old, you would go to war. Except if you're married, then you can stay at home for a year, and then after that you go to war. And why? Because you're a man. But nowadays, when you look at men, they look like a bunch of sissies. Sorry, I don't know what English word to use. Is sissy a good word to use? Look like a bunch of girls. All they must do is start putting up more makeup and do all their fancy little things like girls. And that's because the world has put masculinity under attack. By the way, I've said it before. Let me just say it again. Jesus wasn't a sissy. He wasn't this little blue eye, long hair, long beard man that looked like a a girl, feminine. He was a carpenter. He was the son of a carpenter. He worked with his hands from a very young age. So think for yourself. Praise God there's no photos of Christ. Praise God that we have to use our imaginations and there's so little written about who, what Jesus looked like so that we do not make a false representation of Christ. But what we can know is he was a man. And beloved, when he went to the cross, he went to the cross as a man. Remember, he was the God-man. But he was fully man when he went to the cross. When he took the punishment for our sin, when he was whipped, when he was ripped apart, he was a man. That's our example. The Apostle Paul and everything that he went through, he was a man. But he was a godly man. And what he went through, he went through for the glory of God. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, we get uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And those things should characterize a godly man. Someone who loves Christ. A man should keep his own body from intoxication, from abuse, from all kinds of indulgences. That is not what God wants for our lives. Men should keep their own bodies in chastity, moral purity. And men should avoid all excesses, both in action and in passion. You see... Men should give to God what is due to him, to his neighbor what is due to them, 
and to himself what is due to him. But then secondly, God doesn't just expect us to do justly. God expects from men to love mercy. That's the second thing that Micah reveals to us, what God had already said. See, men should love mercy. Men should not only do what is or what justice require, but they should act with mercy. Men can so easily act like the world, can't they? Instead of acting as spiritful men of God. See, men should love what God loves, and they should hate what God hates. And be examples to their children. Christian men should stand out in society. And clearly stand out in society. The third thing that God expects men to is from men is to walk humbly before him. And the, the verse that comes to mind immediately is James chapter 4 verse 6 now where we read, But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I, I read where Spurgeon said, and I want to quote him, he says, Walk humbly when you are spiritually strong. Walk humbly when you have much work to do. Walk humbly in all your motives. Walk humbly studying God's word. Walk humbly when, when under trials. Walk humbly in your devotions. Walk humbly between you and your brothers in Christ. And walk humbly when dealing with sinners. Spurgeon continued to say about humility. He says, true humility is thinking rightly of yourself, not meanly. When you have found out um, what you really are, you will be humble. For you are nothing to boast of. To be humble will make you safe. To be humble will make you happy. To be humble will make music in your heart when you go to bed. To be humble here on this earth will make you wake up in the likeness of your master by and by. Beloved, one of the characteristics of a godly man is humility. Not weakness. Not being a sissy. Humility. It takes a man to be humble. And I believe to walk humbly with God is to be wise. And I think we need wise men in the time and age that we're living in. Beloved, today is Father's Day. And I believe that the greatest need in our society today is for fathers to rise and to take up their God-given role of responsibility in the family. 
Now, Micah 6 verse 8, our verse for this morning, basically gives us some basic responsibilities for manhood. But when a man becomes a father, when he becomes the head of a home, those responsibilities are expanded. I'd like to share a few with you this morning as we think about fathers. So here are a few responsibilities of a godly father that he has above the responsibilities of being a man, a godly man. Remember those godly principles that Micah gives us that God already gave to Israel are principles for Israel, for all men. But when it comes to fatherhood, obviously it applies to fathers, to men who have been blessed to be, to have children with the, the wife that he loves. Unfortunately, we are living in a world where more than 50%, they say, of Christian families break up and the, the parents divorce. More than 50%. And it's heartbreaking. That's besides the children that are born out of wedlock with no fathers present. And it's as if Christians just go on as if it's nothing. Everybody does it. So why can't we do it? Instead of standing up and saying, I am going to be a godly man. I will take up my responsibilities. And I'm saying, if there's any young man here this morning, and I want you to listen very carefully to me. If there's a young man here this morning who has a child out of wedlock and you're not taking care of that child, I am telling you, it is time for you to grow up. Stop being a boy. Be a man. And if there's a a lady in this church that has a child out of wedlock with a man that they are not married to, take that man on. Get him to take responsibility for his actions. If he can't be a man, make him a man. Unfortunately, you can't help him. But there are means to get men to wake up, to grow up, and take up responsibility. We're living in a world where people just don't take responsibility anymore. It's heartbreaking. Especially because it's in the church as well. It should not be in the church. We should not see these things in the church. Yet, it's everywhere. Let's look at a few responsibilities of godly fathers. A godly father should love God to such an extent that his children can see the love that he has. And I'm adding something in there. And follow his example. Beloved, no greater example will any child have but their father. Specifically when it comes to living a godly life, loving God, um, showing children what God is like. Because when children look at fathers and we talk to them about God the Father, they make the link. 
They make the link. I have sat with many, many, many young people. And I could see and I could hear the way they understood who God is, is exactly what their father is. If God is an absent God, you know, God is watching us from a distance. He created and then he went and sat up there somewhere and he's watching us from a distance. Doesn't really care about his creation. If that is the view of people, that's most probably what, what their father looks like. That is exactly his characteristics. If he's an abuser, then that's the way they see God. And they will get stuck behind the fact that God killed his own son. Not why God did it. And how it brought um, us, or how can I say, set us free from the power of sin. No, they just look at all these negative th things about God. God would kill nations, would wipe out people. And why do they see that? It's because their father is aggressive, an abuser. Beloved men have a massive responsibility, a huge responsibility. And we, in a sense, determine how our children turn out. So, it was Jesus who said in Matthew 6.33, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What is the focus? This is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ sharing so many principles of the kingdom of God. And one of the amazing principles is seek the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. Seek that God be king of your life and seek to be right with him, with everything that is in you, and God will add the rest. What a promise. What a promise, but with a condition. Eh? Seek the kingdom, the rest shall be added unto you. If you don't seek the kingdom, the rest will not be added unto you. And he's speaking about clothes and uh, something to drink and, and food to eat. He's talking about the necessities of life in the context of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. You see, beloved, if a man does not have a good relationship with God, it is impossible to have good relationships with others. It's not possible. And you can know that that person, that man, is not seeking the kingdom of God. He's seeking his own kingdom. He's busy building his own little thing. Yes, there are men who include their family, their wife and their children. They include them. They might even include some of the extended family. But you will see it if somebody does not seek the kingdom of God first. And his righteousness first. If a man runs from God, he will never have peace. So make sure that you are right with God. Seek after God. Seek after his kingdom and his righteousness. Be example to your children. Love God with everything that is in you, mind, soul, spirit, and body. Take up the responsibility, men. Take it up. A godly father should love his wife. And I would like to add to that, it is the best gift a father can ever give his children. 
is to love their mother with everything that is in him. You see, there are unfortunately many men, many husbands, unfortunately, who think that love is just intimacy. Everything revolves around intimacy. Well, it's part of love. It's not all of it. In fact, real love seeks to basically meet all the needs of the other person. Real love is godly love. Sacrificial love that we find in 1 Corinthians. Now, what a tall order to try to live up to 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. It's a tall order. Even with your spouse. It's hard. But it's a sacrificial kind of love. And that's the kind of love that men, fathers, have to show towards their wives. And men, I just want to ask you a few questions quickly. When was the last time that you opened up a car door for your wife? I did it for quite a while and then we got a new car. And the new car I had to open up in the driver's seat, seat side. Yeah? And when I opened it up, all the doors opened up. I couldn't open up the door on her side, so I stopped doing it until we started having a, one of those little button things, and then I could do it again. Um, it just shows. And what does it show to the children? It shows the children that this person is important in your life. When was the last time you pulled out a chair for your wife to sit? When was the last time you just held her hand? When was the last time you helped her to make the bed? Or wash the dishes? The list is endless, by the way. When you do something for your wife that shows your love for her, the children watch you. And guess what? The chances are that they are going to imitate you. They're going to do what you do. But if you treat your wife as a piece of garbage, as a usable item that you can just kick around and do whatever you want with, don't be surprised when your children are married one day, especially boys, when, the men, when they become men and they are in a married situation, don't be surprised if they do the same thing. And men, don't cry then because you had your chance to be an example. Take up the responsibility. It's a huge one, but take up that responsibility. I believe that godly men should do it. Remember, fathers, your sons are learning from you about how to treat their wife. And one day, they will treat their wives the same way that you treated their mother. So take that responsibility upon yourself. 
Responsibility number three that I want to share with you quickly is a godly father loves his children. And he shows it. You see, love is more than just providing material things. I've heard so many times where, where fathers would sit and explain that, no, I'm providing for my children. I'm giving. I nearly said I pay la bola. What is that stuff you pay? Maintenance. Thank you. So I pay my maintenance. You know what? That's not what the children want. The children want the father. That's what they need. Even though sometimes I think they don't want the father. Because the father is the tough guy in the, in the, in the family. No? But they need a father. That's why God, when he started mankind, he created Adam. Then he created Eve out of Adam. And then he blessed them with children. And that is the nucleus of any society. The smallest group in a society is a family consisting of a father, mother, children. And that's also the building blocks of a society. If you want to see a society collapse, you break that little nucleus. You take away the father, or you take away the mother, and you will see that society will not be able to stand. It will collapse. And I mean, the examples worldwide are, are, are everywhere for us to see. Men, don't miss your children's um, childhood. There is no second chance. And I think everybody that's got children that are grown up will be able to say the same thing. It just went too fast. I, I, before I kind of wiped out my, my um, eyes or wiped my eyes, my children were all grown up. And I still wanted to play with them as little kids. So don't miss your chance at childhood. Don't be an absent father. Don't think to go to work and work and work and work and never be with your children that you are providing for them. You're providing one thing for them. Children have much greater needs than just material provision. And when you discipline, do it in love. Don't discipline your children out of anger. And by the way, it is said that children interpret the time that you spend with them as love. You spend time with your children, they see it as you love them. And you don't have to give them fancy presents and all kinds of stuff. Just be there for them and play. Even um, do something with them, even if it's with a stick. Be there. They interpret it as an act of love. We sometimes think our children want all these fancy things. I think when they become teenagers, yes. But I think if they grew up knowing that mom and dad is there and dad is, he doesn't really care about all this materialistic stuff, even in their teenage years, it doesn't affect them that much. So please, fathers, make sure that you are not an absent father, but that you are there. Forget this nonsense about quality time and quantity time. Make sure you spend time with your children. 
and I think this is the last one. No, sorry, there's two more. The fourth um, responsibility of a godly father is to be a man of integrity. Fathers, I believe, need to do what is just, to walk uprightly. And I don't know if you agree with this, but integrity has become almost a forgotten word in society today. And it's, it's sad, really sad. But there are so few people that are willing to sacrifice, willing to, to kind of be on the short end of the stick because of integrity, because they are people of integrity. I believe that we as men should be men of integrity, not just fathers of integrity, but men of integrity. And integrity should permeate every area of our lives. In our workplace, do an honest day's work. Don't steal from your boss. Time, ne? Don't steal time from your boss. By the way, that's theft. You know that, ne? Man of integrity won't steal from his boss. In the workplace, so do your work honestly, or do an honest work, a day's work. At home, fulfill your promises. And that was something that I struggled with. And I always hit myself behind um, ADD, being ADD. Ne? So I would say, oh, you know what, there's this switch in my head that just switches over. I would promise the children that we would do something or we would go somewhere. And then on the day that it was supposed to happen, I just didn't feel like it. It's as if just the switch just clicked over in my head. And it was bad on my children. It was really bad. And if I could turn back the clock, if I could turn back time, there's one thing that I would try to correct if I could it would be that one to keep my promises to my children or my wife as well and not hide behind some disorder beloved many children in South Africa I'm oh, sorry I'm not there yet it's about integrity at home, fulfill your promises in your personal business. Pay what is owed, what you own. And in your other relationships, commit to fulfill all your commitments. Be a man of integrity. And the last one, the fifth responsibility I want to share with you is a godly father is a role model of God in the life of the children. Unfortunately, the image of a father nowadays is not always a good one. If you watch movies, you will see that the father is the weakest one in the family. The ones that are normally the strongest are the teenage children. Have you noticed that? Or the mother. The father is a washout, useless. Sometimes they come right, but most of the time they don't. They just stay the weakest because it's, a, it's, it's an attack on manhood that's what we are seeing it's an attack on God's creation order but the reality is that the image of a father or the image of a man nowadays is not a good one 
And in South Africa, many children grow up without a father figure in the home. It just doesn't exist. It's not there. And children are often abandoned by their fathers. That's sad. Thing is that fathers are spoken of badly. Just listen. Mothers are lifted up. Women are lifted up. Men are broken down. They want to destroy fatherhood because they know. They know if they destroy fatherhood, they destroy society. And unfortunately, abuse by fathers is also on the rise. That's why our president is so outspoken against the abuse of men towards women and obviously also towards children. Godly men are not supposed to abuse anyone. And it's sad that we tell our children that God is their heavenly father. It's true. It's biblical. question is, have you ever wondered why children have such a wrong view of who God is? Beloved, may the Lord help us, especially as fathers, as men, fathers-to-be. May the Lord help us, because we are shaping our children's concept of the biblical heavenly father. May the Lord help us to shape it in such a way that they will get to know God for who he is because of our example because we are living godly lives the kind of life that God, God expects from us you see they see God the Father as they see us let me conclude Micah says so beautifully men past tense God already spoke about it it's, it's fixed it's there read it and do it be just, love mercy, walk humbly with God. And then uh, to the fathers, I believe there's a, a challenge to each father today for us to be godly fathers, to be examples to our children so that our children can follow our example as we follow Christ and as we live the life that God wants us to live. So the question I would, I would like to close off with is, will you be a godly father to your children? Will you be a godly man? And says, today I make the decision. I will be a godly man no matter what it costs. Or no matter what the cost. I will be what God wants me to be. Heavenly Father, it's such a privilege to come to you, to call you our Heavenly Father, and to look at your word and to see how we can imitate you, because you are the perfect Father. But Father, we know it's so much to ask, because you are perfect in every way. You are perfectly holy. You are perfect in everything that you do. And for us, as sinners who have been saved by grace, very hard to look to you and, and to see um, and to do as you do. Yet, Father, you are the one who gave us 
instruction in your word. You've given us commands that we need to follow as men and as fathers. And I pray from a young age that we will take up that responsibility to be men, godly men, the way that you would like uh, you want us to be. I pray, Father, if there be anyone listening to this message this morning, and it's, it's a message from a broken person, somebody that's saved by grace, that has made so many mistakes even in my own household, who has made so many mistakes even being a man. Father, I pray, please, if there be anybody today, any young person who... Who knows that I'm talking about young in the sense of, um, yeah, I pray, Father, please, if they bear anybody, whether it's young or old, doesn't matter, that listen to this message this morning and realizes their responsibility, I pray that you will enable them to take up that responsibility and to be the kind of man that you want them to be. Father, so that you may be glorified in and through our lives. And I pray, Father, for each and every woman that's in this building, every mother. I pray, Father, that you will enable them to be godly instruments in your hands to challenge their husbands, to be the kind of fathers that you expect from them, and to be the kind of men that you want them to be. If there be anybody who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, because that's where it starts, it starts at the rebirth, may this morning be the morning where you take that life and change that life and just turn it upside down and give the person a new heart of flesh and take out that heart of stone and enable them to be the kind of people that you want them to be. This we pray in Jesus' precious name.